Well, that's Faith Book for the morning. We're talking about the prophet Elijah. And in this series called Faith Book, I've called it Portraits of Faith in Times of Trouble. A very practical and encouraging series to help us as we face trouble in life. Uh, it's not one of the precious promises, but nonetheless, Jesus said, in this world, you will have... Yeah, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Maybe you remember the first message we talked about, how do we find God's help in a crisis? If I could back up a second, our text is Psalm 46.1. God is, and I want you to say this with me, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble which simply means is when trouble is in my life, God wants to help me. He either wants to help me get out of it or he wants to help me go through it or help, he wants to help me change the circumstances. But the first message was about a crisis when you just get blindsided like an emergency room experience, finding God in a crisis. Last week we talked about how to find God's help when trouble lasts a long time. Remember Abraham, they wanted a child. They waited 25 years. I mean, it's hard to keep your faith when you're waiting. Well, this morning I want to talk about discouragement. When trouble, whatever it may be, but when it gets you down in life and you just can't really engage and it's hard to get going and you're losing confidence, this is what we're talking about. By definition, discouragement means to lose our courage or lose our confidence, perhaps because of failure or letdown. Uh, we lose the will to keep going. We feel like quitting because something bad happened. Well, how many know everybody has it? Uh, maybe you didn't make the ball team. Uh, maybe you didn't have a date on Saturday night. Uh, maybe nobody liked your Facebook post. Or maybe in a more serious vein, maybe, uh, maybe you lost your job. Discouragement comes to all of us. Usually we're able to go to bed at night and get up and, you know, have a couple, couple cups of coffee and get going. But sometimes discouragement knocks us down, and it's either hard to get up or it's hard to get up at the pace we want to be. And this is what I want to talk about. I want to show you a little quick video. The, the, the title of the message is Down But Not Out. And let's kind of look at a ball team from the movie The Rookie uh, about a group of high schoolers that uh, are having a losing season. Not your day, Rudy. Not my year. Looks like Coach Jerry Morris is making a pitching change. Just remind folks, the concession stand is still open. Anybody want to tell me how we lost that game? Hmm? No? How about taking a look at the numbers on that scoreboard out there? What do those numbers tell you? How to get a hold of Bo's tire barn. <laughs> you quit. You quit out there. You quit on me, and worse, you quit on yourself. Well, I've been there. How about you? And if you're playing on a ball team, you know from that point, you're either going to have an 0-15 season 
unless you have some turnaround to help you get back up. That's the coach's job. That's what the team captain is supposed to do, is to help the team that's lost courage somehow get it back. Well, this morning's message again, uh, it, it's about being down but not out, because how many know God wants to help us as an ever-present help in trouble? Let me help you. First uh, Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn there. And I want to talk about the ups and downs of Elijah. Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Bible. Elijah was a man that prophesied in the time of a downturn in Israel's history. If you look at the kings, they walk with God, they're blessed, they turn their backs on God, it gets bad, difficulty comes and turns them back to God. Well, Elijah was the man that basically said, because you're sinning, there's going to be a drought and a famine because you've turned your backs on God, and lo and behold, it happens. So now the nation is pretty much devastated at his word. Uh, it's a terrible time in their history. And, and Elijah now has a conflict with the king. The king says, O troubler of Israel, you prophet that caused this mess. And Elijah said, look, I didn't do that. Listen, you guys did it when you turned your backs on God. And it comes to a head on a place called Mount Carmel, a historical event outside the realm of the natural. But supernaturally, if you remember, there's hundreds of pagan prophets and there's Elijah. And the deal is, whatever God answers by fire from heaven. Now, that's amazing. Fire would literally come down from heaven. They both made their offerings, and that would identify the true God. Well, it happened. The 900 prophets, nothing happened. Elijah gets up there, and he basically says, God, show them that you're real. And literally, fire comes from heaven. It consumes the whole offering, and the nation begins to turn around. The pagan prophets are destroyed. The nation begins to turn her heart back to God. And after a three-and-a-half-year drought, it begins to rain. Now, how many would think that that guy should be on top of the world? How many would think if you're Elijah and you'd seen all that God did, you should be excited to the nth degree? I mean, you know, you should be in Happyville, but that's not what happened. 1 Kings 19, let's read the story. 1 Kings 19, uh, some period of time later... Ahab, the king of Israel, he gets home and he tells his wife Jezebel. Jezebel is always portrayed negatively in Scripture, but his wife is the queen. She's an evil woman. She uses deceit, trickery, deception, violence to get what she wants. So he tells his wife, she's kind of the one in charge. She's the, uh, the, kind of the mafia in the country and everybody listens to her. And she told him about him having killed the prophets of Baal. Well, she didn't like that because she supported these pagan prophets. So here you have light and darkness coming into a clash. And then it says, Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. Uh, how many have actually gotten a registered letter from the IRS? I have, yeah. This is what we're talking about. Uh, how about you get an, a letter from an attorney? Most of the time, it's not something great. Usually it's, uh-oh. And it's one of those times, well, this was the communication that came to Elijah and this woman made this vow or promise, and she said, May the God strike me and kill me if by this time tomorrow I've not killed you just as you kill them. So here is the death threat. And after these great experiences of success, the Bible tells us that he was afraid and fled for his life. He went to a place called Beersheba, which was the furthest place he could go, the southernmost place in, in, in their kingdom. So this is the context. This man had this great, great victory. Something gets a hold of him and brings him down in discouragement. Now, verse 4, it tells us he went alone in the wilderness. Being alone can be a good thing. I don't know about you, but I recharge by being alone. 
Uh, weekends wear me out. It's kind of like the, the Super Bowl three times in a row. I'll go home, I'll take a, I could sleep for two and a half, three hours, just kind of wake up and Monday's our Sabbath, it's our day off and I just don't want anything going on. I need to recharge. I'm excited tomorrow, I'm gonna work in my garden tomorrow and you know, I've got my day planned out and that's gonna bring life to me. Somebody told me last night, say, look, I say you're the flowers and all that stuff you put on Facebook. I had to work in the yard today and it was not fun. Come on, it was work. How many can say that's the way I feel about it? Yeah, well, we are all recharged differently, but here's this guy alone in the wilderness. And now notice what happens. He sits down under a solitary broom tree. It's like a willow tree in the desert, but, but it, it's small. It's eight, 10 feet high. It doesn't provide the comfort of a big oak tree. There's not a breeze blowing. But he said this, Lord, I just want to die. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. In other words, the ones that went before me, the prophets, those who tried to turn the nation, I'm a failure like they are. Now, how many have ever had an experience like that? You have this great mountaintop, and then before you know it, you're just ready to quit, and you're ready to give up on life. Uh, victory, great victories are often followed by letdowns. When you have a challenge that's before of you, adrenaline, emotions, perhaps some fear, dreams pump us up. But after the experience is over, it's like helium coming out of a balloon. Uh, we used to have parties in Powerhouse, and we'd have helium balloons, and, you know, they would just be all up in the air, and kids would let them go, and, Mommy, Mommy, my balloon is in the air. Well, the next day, you can go out and just sweep up balloons off the floor because they drop down. Well, this is what happened to Elijah. Discouragement is often cause of a trigger event. It's caused by a trigger event. Something happens. Uh, it, 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 it gets into us. It, it, it eats us. Jezebel was that to Elijah. Now, this guy had seen God do these incredible things, but this bothered him. I may know we're not all bothered by the same things, but, but everybody's got something. Um, in our home, uh, I, my friend Jason's got me raising bees, and uh, I checked my bees this winter, and unfortunately, they died. And uh, they said, well, well, we'll get some more, and we'll get her going again. But the hives, you can't leave in the dark because, you know, bugs will get in them and moths will get in them. So you need to open them up and let them have some sunlight somewhere. And I said, well, how about if I put it on the porch? And they said, sure, go ahead, put it on the porch. It'll be fine. Well, unbeknownst to me, there was a lot of honey in it. And as the bees are starting to come out now, there's not a lot of pollen and flowers. Guess where they're heading to? They're heading to my back porch. So I've got 50 or 100 bees just flying around the hive, and they don't really bother me. I just walk right by the hive on my way on the porch or whatever. But my wife and Rebecca, different story, okay? <laughs> different story. It's like there's a bee in the house, get the shotgun. I mean, you know. So my point in this, now I've got my own list. I'm not going to embarrass myself, but I've got things that can just freeze me cold. Everybody's got them. And what happens invariably, something will happen in life and it'll sneak past our shield and defense. And before we know it, we're down. This is how it works. Now, when we talk about uh, these trigger events and discouragement, uh, depression is closely linked to discouragement. And I don't know uh, medically where you draw the line. Uh, the Mayo Clinic says uh, depression is a mood disorder, causes a persistent feeling of sadness. The key word is persistent, a loss of interest leads to physical and emotional problems. Uh, you can't even do normal activities and feel like life's not worth living. 
Uh, I would say this as we're talking about the subject. If you're down for a long time, I think it's smart to go to a doctor. Uh, I think it's smart to just go and see if there's something out of whack in your body, you know, uh, because we are not just a, a soul, a mind, will, emotions. You know, we have physical dynamics that are at work with us, and we work together. And God's given medical science knowledge. He's revealed knowledge to them. I had a lady after this morning service. She said, I was battling. I was afraid. I thought I was, uh, I thought I was getting Alzheimer's disease. And she said, it began to torment my mind. Every day I'd get up, I felt like my life was going to be over. And I went to the doctor and he said, your D3 is real low. And he encouraged me to do that. So when I'm talking about being down and being low, I want to first recognize there, there can be a physical component. But it's not all physical. It has a mental, it has a spiritual, it has an emotional side to it as well. But it can, and I want to start here about the, the, the physical side of it. Look at uh, verse 5. Uh, he lay down and he slept under this broom tree. Now mind you now, here's a picture of a guy, great, great victory and success, and now he's run away, and he was not able to take a jet plane to the southern kingdom and get there in two hours. He's walking, he's riding a donkey or whatever the case is. So he gets there, this is a picture of a man that's wasted. He's wiped out, and he's sleeping under this tree. And as he was sleeping, an angel touches him and said, get up and we'll come back to that. He got up, he ate and drank, and, and now here's something supernatural. The food gave him strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. Now I want to pause here and think just a moment because in a spiritual world we sometimes minimize the natural or the practical things of our lives. But Elijah was down and the most important thing he could do was to eat and rest and recharge. Let me say it again. The most important thing he could do at that season of his life was get some good healthy food. He'd already had plenty of exercise, but he needed to rest. God made us to need rest. We cannot go 100 miles an hour every day and expect to stay healthy. You cannot. Now listen, I, I'm kind of a type A person. I'm a driven person. Uh, most of my life, I was able to just go seven days a week. Most of my time here, I'd work six days a week. You know, you just go put one more thing on the plate and it's no problem. But at some point, we don't have the emotional capacity to keep going like that. And God designed a rhythm of life that should include regular seasons of rest. Now, rest, exercise, healthy diet are just as important as praying. Taking care of ourselves physically connects to our spiritual life. Let's talk about rest a minute. Genesis 2 verse 3, God blessed the seventh day. This is after creation. And he declared it holy, set apart to God, because it was a day when God himself, what's it say? Rest. He rested from his work of creation. In Exodus, now what was a principle, and I believe that principle of Sabbath rest is an abiding principle. It was excuse me, made law in Exodus 31, 15. God, uh, to Moses said, six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest. It's holy to the Lord. What was a law for Moses is now a principle in our life. And some things, the, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to tell your friends, I can't go out, come on, to take a couple days off work and not clean the house, but just to rest and recharge because if you don't, discouragement can turn into depression and before you know it you've worn the same pair of sweatpants six days in a row you know what I'm talking about the, 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 you don't open the blinds because somehow moodiness and being down and discouraged it kind of likes to live in the dark 
Well, I want to suggest to you in all of this too, there's something spiritual. Because what we've talked about thus far are, are just the, uh, the physical things that surround being discouraged. We've talked about ups and downs. We've talked about eating and resting and all. But now let's talk about the mental side and then the spiritual. And on the mental side, lies keep us in bondage to discouragement. But truth frees us to be better. Let me say it again. Lies. Every time I'm discouraged, my head is filled with lies. Yeah. And then this has a spiritual component to it. Uh, discouragement is fed by lies. And who is the author of lies? Yeah, Jesus said this, John 8, 44. Jesus said there's no truth in him. The devil, he is a liar and he's the father of lies. So when you're down, let's say, let's say nobody answered your Facebook. Nobody liked you. And you even did one of those posts that call out, I don't know if anybody's reading this, but you are. Don't just hit like. Would you please say love you or something like that? <laughs> Come on, about half of us have done something like that. But, but you can start there. And then if you don't get that back, how about if your pastor doesn't get it back? Listen, your pastor barely even has time. I, I, I look about that much Facebook, and there's probably that much to go. So if you tried to tell me about your woe, it's not because I didn't care. I just, it stresses me out sometimes. The technology just kind of gets a hold of me. But here's what happens. Nobody liked you or a particular person didn't like you. And then you have this thought. Well, maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe I'm not a likable person. You're single, you want to get married, or you're divorced, like to get married again. And this thought just broods in your mind. Nobody that ever wants me. I've had a child. Nobody wants to marry somebody with a kid. And before you know it, lies are growing. You put in dozens of applications, nobody responds to them, and you sit at home and you get tired of putting any more in. And the thoughts that fill your mind are, I guess I'll just have to live on welfare the rest of my life. I'll never be able to own a home. I'll never be able to own my car. Are, are you with me? You, 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 in your job, perhaps you're, a, perhaps you're, I don't know what, perhaps you're a coach and, and the team doesn't do good and the pressure is there. Well, if I get fired, nobody will ever hire me again. And these are the lies. Not every thought like that comes from the devil, but some do. And this is the challenge. I have my own feelings and thoughts that go into my mind. My conscience speaks to me. Somehow the Holy Spirit speaks to me. But also in all of this, the devil can lie to people. This is why the Bible says very clearly, and this may not be on the screen, but 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it tells us to take every thought captive. Say it again. Take every thought captive. Uh, when the bee, uh, one of the bees came in the house the other day, and they kept, get him out, get him out. We have a guy that comes by and sprays our, our uh, Sam's. I think Sam, Sam's here this morning. If you ever need a good bug sprayer, see Sam. Sam waved at everybody this morning. Sam comes, he sprays my bugs, he gets the spiders and everything. But, but Rebecca will tell me sometimes, there's spiders in my room. Come kill him, Dad. I say, why didn't you kill him? Well, uh, come kill him, Dad. <laughs> you better kill the spiders crawling around in your head. Because those lies will bite you. And you will find yourself have been built an invisible wall of lies around you that take not only your self-confidence, but your God-confidence. I wonder what Elijah was thinking and feeling when he heard Jezebel was mad at him. 
What made this arguably one of the greatest? Can, can you imagine what happened? This guy prophesies and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. He declares it again and it rains. The nation turns around. But this woman, what was it about her? Something got into his mind. He killed my friend. She can kill me. And this little bit of a thought took over. She killed the other. Lies shape the way we feel, and we usually act based on our feelings. Wow. Tell a bit about my struggle with anxiety. If I could share a little personal. Uh, I, I went for 20, 25 years, 90 miles an hour. I was just able to do pretty much whatever I wanted to. Add one more thing to the plate, no big deal. And after Linnell had breast cancer, it was just I just had this kind of meltdown. All, the best the doctors could say, well, it's an anxiety disorder. Uh, I had some physical things. I went to the hospital a couple times. I passed out a couple times. It was horrible, the darkest time of my life. And it was so bad, I couldn't continue to do my role here in the church, and I, I asked to take off for three months. But on these three months, you would think, you know, people would communicate with me. They'd say, well, are you having fun? No. I'm in torment. The only time I have peace is when I'm sleeping at night and I want to sleep as long as I can because from the time I get up in the morning to the time I go to bed, I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like I'm about to fall off the edge of this cliff and I don't know what's down there. I feel like I'll never return to the pulpit. I feel like I won't even be able to do my son's wedding. Feelings are real. And I didn't know how to sort out the physical component from the emotional to the spiritual, but it was all working inside me. I'm telling you, friends, lies have power. And if you let the lie go over enough in your mind, it'll form a rut. When I was a boy, I was raised on a farm in Mississippi, and we raised cows, and in the wintertime, we'd feed the cows silage, which is like ground-up sorghum or corn. And we'd dig it out of a pit and load it on this trailer, and we would uh, we'd go in the pasture, and we had old tractor tires and wooden troughs, and you'd drive the tractor, and you'd auger out the feed for the cows. Well, whenever they would pick a new place, after two or three weeks, it would rain, and the ruts would get about that deep. Now, I'm probably, I don't know what, seven or eight years old, and somebody's sitting on the seat with me, and I think I'm really doing something. I'm just driving this tractor, and I'm feeding the cows. Well, the truth is, the ruts... I couldn't get out of the ruts. The truth is the ruts had me locked into a place and I couldn't go anywhere else, but yet I thought I was driving. And I'm going to tell you, to get out of those ruts, I couldn't do it, literally, as a little kid. One of the guys that was with my dad, he'd tell me, put the clutch in, put it in park, and he'd get in the seat, and then he would turn the wheels and he would mash one of the brakes on the tractor, and it would spin the other wheel and it would get out of the rut. This is what happens when we get discouraged as we start believing lies Rather than believing greater is he that is in me, come on now, than he that is in the world. Rather than believing that he who started the good work in me will bring it to completion. Rather than believing I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I believe Jezebel is going to kill me. Come on now. I, I believe that my life is in Jezebel's hands, not in God's hands. And this is the dynamic that, un that unfolds. Now, let me give you a solution. If indeed there's a part of this is mental... When we meditate upon, pray, and speak the truth, we can become free. Amen. If the mental part of this is the lie, and I remember I saw doctors, I took all colors of pills. I mean, you understand? I took white ones, I took round ones, I took oblong ones, I took blue ones, I tried everything I could. I was so desperate. They helped to a degree, but they didn't take it away. 
with all this sinus stuff going on a couple nights ago, I had this sinus headache, and I got up in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock, with this horrible headache. I took a couple of Tylenol, it went away. They couldn't do that with this whatever I was struggling with on the inside. The only thing that would help is if you take enough whatever, Xanax or something like that. But you can't live a drugged life and have a life. You can lay at home. Now listen, and I'm not knocking you if that's where you are, if that's where you've been. I'm just telling you, if that's where you are, it's trouble. Somehow God can help us get out of that. Thank God. Listen, thank God. I, I thank God for everything doctors gave me. I thank God for my psychologist. I thank God for a Christian counselor that basically slapped me and said, look, a pill is not going to cure this. You're going to have to make a decision in this. You cannot be moved by your feelings. And thankfully, they were Christians. And this counselor said, you've got to believe the Word of God. Come on now. You've got to believe the Holy Spirit. You cannot just believe what you're feeling because your feeling will keep you at home. But when you meditate on the truth, Jesus said, John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free. free. Come on, say it again. Set, Set you free. free. Say it this way. Set, Set me free. free. The truth. What is the truth? It is the Word of God. It is that which is spoken to us by the Spirit of God in whatever means. Now, I, I want to go back to the mind here. Pro, uh, Philippians 4, 8. Again, it's not on the screen, but Philippians says, whatever is true, think on these things. It goes on, true, pure, lovely. Whatever is true. And there's some power. The Bible says in Proverbs, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And if you meditate long enough on Jezebel, come on now, she will control your life. If you meditate long enough on the feeling that I'll never be in the pulpit, you will never be in the pulpit again. Are you with me today? Now, let me tell you as far as your thinking, and I want to go back to a prayer. We looked at it a few weeks ago, but it is so profound, I want to mention it again. If I'm not supposed to think about these feelings, because I'm telling you, friends, I was at a place where I could not trust my feelings. My feelings would have kept me locked in my house. But it was truth that set me free. So what do I think about? I want to give you three things, and then we'll look at a prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed in 2 Chronicles 20. He was being attacked by an invading army that was overwhelming. And we'll look at his prayer. But here's the three things I want you to remember. When, when, when you're in discouragement, you need to think about who God is. You need to think about or remember what God has done. And you need to think about or remember what God has promised. Who God is, what he's done, and what he's promised. Let me read scripture. Second Chronicles 20 now. Again, this army is coming against Jehoshaphat. He goes to God to pray, and he says, O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. What's it say? No, no one can stand against you. Jezebel cannot stand against you if you're Elijah. But he was believing a lie. Listen, if your Jezebel is coming after you to fight you, you can do several things. You can run away. That's exactly what Elijah did. If you're Jezebel, come on now, all bucked up and got a knife or whatever Jezebel has got coming after you, you can kind of move like that. Or you can stop and she's going to get you. Or you can start walking towards her. And as you're walking towards her, you can say, no one can stand against you. And she opens her mouth and you just kind of, you know, you just kind of, 
Now, I'm not advocating going out and getting a fight, okay? Now, but what I'm saying is, spiritually, you can run away, you can stay where you are, or you can get in their face. And that's what, that's what Jehoshaphat did. Remember who God is. If you need some of this in your life right now, you know what I would do if I was you today? I'd find some quiet place out in the country or out in a park somewhere, and I would behold the glory of the Lord as winter gives way to spring. And I'd look at the trees that were dormant and dead coming to life. I would look at the birds as they're coming together to begin to form their nests and mate. I would look at the daffodils and imagine that the deadness of the ground and life came up and this beautiful yellow beauty began to emerge. I would look at what was dead, come on now, that's coming back to life. I would look at what was brown and is now turning green or shades of auburn. I'm telling you, friends, God is the one that is our focus. Remember who God is because what happens, our problem gets bigger and our God gets smaller. And if the more I meditate on my problem, the bigger it gets, the more I agree with it. Here's the second thing for our thinking. Think about what God has done. Remember it. Verse 7 now, again, we're kind of going back between Jehoshaphat and Elijah. But in Jehoshaphat with his vast army, he said, Lord, and he's praying now, did you not drive out those giants who lived in the land when Israel arrived? And did you not give us this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Discouraged people don't think about what God has done. It's like yesterday's victories never happened. Because all we do is we see Jezebel coming. How different it might have been if, if Elijah, when he felt this way, if he'd have just kind of closed his eyes and tried to picture Mount Carmel. And he's up on this mountain, and his heart's probably beating, and, and he's got these logs and fire, and he's poured water all over, and all of a sudden, fire fills the air. And before he knows it, the pagan prophets are gone. And he sees that in his kind of own mental DVR, and he's recorded it. He's thinking about what God has done, but he didn't. What he did is he looked at this woman, and he saw the violence. He knew what she could do, and he let that thought be bigger than his God. I'm telling you, friend, there's power in remembering where God brought you from. I can look back on times of my... This, this past week, I've seen three indications of divine appointments and divine crossroads. I've met people, I've talked to people, I've done things, God has orchestrated things, we're in the midst of something, I'll give you testimony at one day, but it's been happening, and I told my wife, I said, honey, I guess we passed the test here or something, but it seems like everything the Lord's leading us to do is just happening. Well, if you get to a place in your life where none of it's happening, you need to start back and think about when it was happening. Because if it happened before, come on, it can happen again. Give the Lord a good, a good hand. Here's what David said about remembering what God has done as he wrote the Psalms. You see, when you remember what God has done, your faith will grow stronger. You take the power out of the discouragement. David said this in Psalm 143. He says, my enemies have hunted me down and completely defeated me. I'm ready to give up. But notice the shift. I remember the days gone by. I think about all you have done. I'm defeated. I'm at the bottom. Now my thinking. It's good to go to the doctor. It's good to exercise. It's good to eat right. But at some point, that's not enough. I've got to know, remember who my God is, and I remember what he has done. 
lost my verse. There we go. Verse 5. Uh, verse 12, and now his prayer shifts. In your unfailing love, Lord, silence all my enemies and destroy my foes. I'm your servant. So in half a dozen verses, he's going from I'm at the bottom to now mentally truth is setting me free. And here's the third thing. Again, your thought life, remembering who God is, remembering what he's done, remembering what he's promised. And this is the last one, verse 9. Again to Jehoshaphat. Uh, Jehoshaphat remembered now an event that happened several hundred years earlier when Solomon built the temple and it was dedicated. And God told Solomon, whenever you're faced with trouble and calamity, such as a war, and that's exactly what's about to happen, the enemy's going to come, plague or famine, and we can come in your presence in this temple of the Lord and we cry out to you to save us, what's it say? You will hear us and rescue us. Remember the promise that God has made to you. Remember when I told you, in my struggle with anxiety, Satan was lying to me and tormenting me through my thought life. But I want to tell you, friend, I'm here today because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I'm here today because I let truth be the trumpster. Come on now. I let truth be the trump card over feelings that were lying to me. Again, grateful for all the care I received from others, but at some point it had to be me and God. Are you with me yeah. today? And at some point you have to do the step out thing. But I'm telling you, and I want you to hear this today. It's made news recently, a gal on the show called The View, Joy Bear, she's talking about Vice President Pence. And Pence talks about his relationship with God as a real relationship. The Lord speaks to me. And she said, well, that's mental illness. And I thought, I thought about her. I prayed for her actually yesterday. She doesn't know the Savior I know. Yeah. Yeah. When I sing that old hymn, when I come to the garden alone and the dew is still on the roses, come on, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Well, when I behold his glory in creation, I hear the Lord talking to me. When I read the Bible, God is talking to me. When his Holy Spirit speaks to me, he's talking to me. When, when somebody prays for me, it's often a word from the Lord. When I get a word of knowledge, for I, like I did earlier, it, 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 about someone that felt like you were chained, and God's going to redirect that change. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And I'm telling you, friends, f uh, when I was in my lowest moment, uh, Philippians 1.6, because I could not go any farther. Listen, now, this is part of God breaking us. It's part of turning independence into dependence. I reached the edge of myself as a self-made man, as a capable man, as a man with resources, a man with education, a man with experience. I could not go any farther. And Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began the good work in me, he's going to bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Come on, it's just like if, you're, if you can't swim and you're out in the, in, in the lake or the pond and you're drowning and somebody throws you a life jacket, that life jacket sustains you when you cannot sustain yourself. And I'm telling you, that scripture, I had, I had posts on my, on my Evernote. Every day I'd write the word of the Lord. And that scripture remained at the top. I put yellow sticky notes. When someone would have oh, an encouraging word, I'd put it up there. And I've shared this before, but I'll share it again because I hope it'll help you. I'm seeking God for weeks. This, this thing lasted three years. I fight with it to this day. Not, nothing like I did. But I remember I got out of bed one morning, and I'd been seeking God. And I wasn't at that moment particularly praying or anything, but I heard the closest that I've ever experienced to an audible voice. And I don't know if it was, but I'm telling you it was that real. And it said, when you return to me, strengthen my brethren. 
And it was the Holy Spirit. It was a word that Jesus spoke to one of his disciples, and I knew what it meant. It meant that God was going to get me back. Come on now. And when I got back, I was supposed to help people with the valley that I went through. I was supposed to be able to help other people. And I think that's what's happening this weekend. huh? Come on, somebody say, somebody say praise the Lord. Listen, truth wins over lies every time we believe it. Let me, let me wrap it up. The last thing I'll tell you is at some point you've got to make a decision to get back in the game. Now, my counselor told me that this. They said, listen, that pill is not going to take it all away. At some point, you're going to have to engage. Because, listen, I'd had all the physicals. I mean, they, they did, what do we call it, angiogram or whatever they do, and they run the tube up your heart and look at everything. I mean, I had all that done. EEGs, EKGs, with dye, without dye. I mean, all that stuff done. And the doctors apologetically said, we can't find anything wrong with you. But I'm still living in hell. At some point, you've got to make a decision to get back in the game. 1 Kings 19, we're back with Elijah, and here we close. The angel of the Lord came back to Elijah under this broom tree a second time. He said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And then what's verse 8 says? He got up. Got up. Say it again. He got up. She got up. She opened the blinds and took off the old, old uh, uh, you know, what do you call it? sweatpants, took a shower and got up. At some point, it's got to happen. You cannot wait for your feelings to propel you. Once you're down and keep going down. He got up, he ate and drank, and something supernatural happened. Strengthened by the food, he travels 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches the mountain of God. What's the story, Pastor? God wasn't done with Elijah, and he's not done with us. That when you fall down, God will help you get back up. And he will help you when you are unable to do it because when we're weak, come on, then we are strong because he is an ever-present help, say it with me, in time of trouble. Give him a big hand today. He's, he's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna close in prayer. Aren't you glad you came this morning? This would have been a great morning to stay in bed. Heat up something and watch the uh, live stream on the, on the phone. I thought about doing that, actually. But my wife reminded me or would remind me that uh, nobody would be there if, uh, if I didn't show up. There'd be no live stream. There'd be no live stream. Lord, we love you today. And I'm just so happy to say out loud, God is alive. He's my creator. He's my sustainer. He's my father. He's my savior. He's closer than a brother. He's a friend. He's one who'll never turn his back on me. He's one who'll never throw me away. He's one that'll forgive me like the prodigal dad forgave his own son. He loves me with an undying love, and he's made a covenant with me, and he saved me from my sin. And he had open arms when I turned back to him, when I backslid. And he's always there when I listen. And in the midst of doing things that I know I shouldn't do, but I did them anyway, he says, you can come run into the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help you in your, in your time of need. You're that kind of God. You're the kind of God that turns the seasons like a clock. You're the kind of God that causes the sun to, to, to come in the east and set in the west and the moon to give light to the sky. And you're the one who sustains this whole planet. 
God, you're the one that tells the humming bee, a hummingbird how to, how to uh, cross thousands of miles and ducks how to make their, tra- their, their flights north and south. And God, you're the one that <laughs> you, you just do it all. And I want to ask you, Lord, just come and fill us all with your Holy Spirit right now. Let us be ever mindful of what Jesus said in the parable of the sower that Satan wants to come. This word of God is like seed. It's sown out. It's truth. But Jesus said in the parable, the birds come and take it away. And that bird is Satan himself wants to steal truth from us. Well, Lord, we make a resolution right now that we're not going to, we're not going to deal with discouragement any longer the way we have. But we're going to hear truth and let it seep down in our innermost being. If we need to take time off, if we need to rest, if we need to eat right, if we need to exercise, we're going to do all that. If we've got to go to the doctor for a clean bill of health, and then we're going to tackle the lies that are in our mind, then we're going to think the right thing. Because you said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Lord, we're going to think about who you are. We're going to think about what you have done. We're going to think about what you promised. And we're making a decision to get up. We're making a decision to stay up. And if we fall down, the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times but rises up again. So, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to just fill us afresh today. And let us go out, Lord, with your power. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Welcome, welcome. Hey, let's close like this. If you want personal prayer, I get that as often as I can. Heck, I've been prayed for three times this weekend already. But maybe you're here today and maybe you want somebody to just individually pray for you. The Bible calls the, talks about the laying on of hands where one person believes. It's nothing magical, but it's a, it's a spiritual transference. It's a joining of faith by the Holy Spirit. We'll pray for you. Uh, we'll anoint you with oil. That's another sign of the Spirit the Bible talks about. But we'll pray you about anything. But maybe the prayer need is for someone in your world that's discouraged. Someone in your world that's down and your heart's burdened for them because you can't do it for them. We'll pray about anything. But the most important prayer we'd like to offer today is for you personally and your relationship with God. You know you can go to heaven depressed? Sure you can. But you can't go to heaven without Jesus. So what do you mean, Pastor? Our great, great, great ancestors, Adam and Eve, sinned against a holy God. And since they sin, evil came in the world, and people are dying left and right. It's all because of sin. And God, in his love for us, looked down from heaven and said, we need to make a way to rebuild the bridge. It's like Adam and Eve threw us on a deserted island because of sin. And God sent Jesus on the cross to be a bridge to that island so we could walk across to the mainland. See, Jesus on the cross took our place. The cross was a place of judgment. The penalty for our sins... Heaven and hell are real. Jesus said, I will give them what they cannot give themselves, the offer of eternal life. Friends, I'm not talking about joining a church today. I'm talking about you personally surrendering your life to Christ. I'm talking about you today in all humility saying, God, I I need your forgiveness. I've done wrong and the way I've lived is wrong, but I want to ask you to forgive me. I want to give you my guilt, my shame, my condemnation, and I want Christ to come in my life. I want you to save me. I want you to give me a brand new start in life. And God, with your help, I'm going to follow you the rest of my days. This is what the Bible calls being saved, being born again, by receiving Christ and following him. And maybe that's resonating with you. Maybe you feel like I'm talking to you right now. Friend, can I tell you, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God himself calling you through my voice because he loves you. And he has a plan for your life. 
Maybe you're a Christian and you used to walk with God, but you got away from God. And, and today, you really have, 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 something's been rekindled and you want to commit yourself afresh. You say, well, what do I need to do, Pastor? We're going to ask you when they begin to sing to slip out of your chair and come and meet us at the cross and let us pray for you. You say, well, why can't I do it where I am? Here's why. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. From my own experience, I know that I need to physically walk away. There's great symbolism in walking away from the old life and coming to Christ. Listen, we'd be honored to pray for you. Go ahead and begin to sing our last song. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. They'll pray with you about anything, and we'll dismiss in just about a minute and a half. You come if you need prayer, but most importantly, if you need to make a step to Christ, if you need to get right with God, we'll meet you at the cross. I love you, and thanks for being here.